Then tonight we're talking about how to work as worship, how to work as worship. What does it look like? So for some of you right now, you have that nine to five. Some of you are uh, having a lot of free time. Some of you are thinking through like what do you spend your time on? Some of us in here are students and we are uh, not necessarily uh, getting paid for our job, but we are still going to be required to go to a certain place to learn a certain skill. And so tonight what I want us to do is I want us to really unpack what this looks like because a lot of people will look at work and honestly have an unbiblical perspective on it. And so tonight, I'm hoping that we're going to look at this in a totally different new light for some of you. So what I want you to do to get us started is around your table, I want you to tell the people around your table, what was the first job you had? First job you had. On your mark, get set, go. All right, so some of you went down a trip down memory lane thinking about your first uh, job. Some of you miss it. Some of you got that twitch back, right? All of a sudden started coming back when you think about it. Uh, Mike was asking me what was my, my first one. I was a 14-year-old kid. I worked on a construction site. A friend of mine was the construction manager, and me and my buddy would drive up after they were finishing a house, and we would take all the stuff and throw it to a big fire and blow up all the trash after it. Once the house was done, it was like the best job ever for a 14-year-old. Totally unsafe. Uh, and then... I worked in a, uh, a shoe store uh, where my, my sister had worked. And basically, I'll say this, I say it's a female shoe store, and it wasn't. They had male stuff. But if you've been to a shoe store recently, you do realize this. It's a female shoe store because there's like 10 pairs of shoes for guys and then 8,000 for women. So I was like a 15-year-old kid, and I only had one rule. I would go get the box. I'm not putting that on your foot. That was the only rule I had. So I was a good errand boy uh, and then uh, a lot of other things along the way. And, and, you know, you start out and there's a lot of things that you think through when it comes to vocation. But I want us to, to start off with kind of relearning and especially looking at what the Bible says about work. And so I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2 uh, tonight as we'll start. There's going to be a few passages of scripture that we're going to look at. But Genesis chapter 2 will help us maybe relearn what work was supposed to be about. Because a lot of people will go in Monday morning and they'll get stressed out and overwhelmed and frustrated and they will say, well, because work is a result of the fall. And that's not exactly true. And, um, and so I want us to look really to see uh, some, some things from the Bible that we need to know regarding this. So in Genesis chapter 2, I want you to go down to verse number 15. Number 15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So he's a gardener. He's a farmer, really, is what the first job of Adam is. Um, did Adam originally plant all those things? He didn't plant them. Not, not the first batch, but he is supposed to till the ground, cultivate it, take care of it. So the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So we really see that Adam had two jobs. One was that as a gardener or farmer, and he named all the animals, right? That was kind of his job. And so he would till the ground, take care of things, cultivate it. Uh, and it was, now this is in Genesis chapter 2. How many of you know what chapter in Genesis the fall comes in? What chapter? Three. So uh, let me ask you a question. Was work a result of the fall? No, it wasn't. In fact, work was not a result of the fall. It wasn't a consequence. Uh, work isn't a consequence of sin, but frustration with work is. That's the difference. In Genesis chapter 2, work is there, and it's a good thing. In Genesis chapter 3, when we get in, now uh, frustration with work is going to be the consequence for what they've done. Work is not a consequence. Frustration with work is. Now, some of you ever been in that job where you can say yes and amen to that, Right? Well, I think we all have, have been there where there's a job that you think, okay, I understand why they call it work. And this is not exactly what I would like to spend my life doing. And there's a lot of complications with it. And so when, when you think through this, um, there's this picture, follow me, that a father places his son in a garden that he planted and says, I want you to care for this. And when you care for it, uh, things that are beneficial are going to come out of it for him, right? 
It's not like you're going to take care of this and bad stuff's going to come out. No, good stuff's going to come out. I want you to eat from all of it, enjoy it. And, uh, and in fact, I'm going to bring somebody to come alongside that y'all can enjoy this together. And I want you to name the animals. And so Adam goes, okay, I'm going to be creative like you. You're the creator God. So God would come in in the middle of the day and say, Adam, have you been working? Yep, been working over here at the garden, been taking care of everything. All right, have you been doing anything else? Yeah, but naming the animals. Oh, why don't you tell me what you got there? Oh, I've got some stuff here. This one I call brown bear. Oh, good. That's good. Okay. What do you call this one? This one's bluebird. Oh, what about that one? That one's blackbird. Oh, really? That's good. What about that one? Redbird. God, I'm really being creative, okay? He's like, good job, Adam. You know, he's really working hard. I had to make sure he creates all these different things, but he, he, God creates it. He names them, and yet God says this, I created all things, but I am going to give you some ownership, some responsibilities to take care of the creation that I've given. Let me just tell you something. Every job is that. We are taking care of stewarding something that God has given us. No matter if you are making widgets or you are teaching people or whatever it is, you are being a steward of something that God has created. And so with this, uh, work isn't a consequence of sin. Frustration with work is. So after Adam and Eve sin, then in Genesis chapter 3, look over there at verse 17. Um, God is going to give out punishments. He gives punishment to Satan. He gives punishment to Eve. And now he gets to Adam. And he says, and Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Now, now stop right there. Some of us in this world today would go, how dare God say that? He's not supposed to listen to his wife. It's not the fact that he was listening to Eve. It's the fact that he listened to Eve over God. That's what the sin was. It's not the fact, guys, some of y'all need to listen to your wives more often, okay? But you never need to listen to her above the voice of God. You never need to replace that. And so what happened was Adam knew what God, his father, had said, but he listened to the voice of his wife who was going against what God had said. And that's what the problem was. He says, so look, the fact that you obeyed her instead of obeyed me, this is why you're getting these things. He says, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. So in this we see really two consequences that Adam gets. Work is no longer going to be fun. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be just downright hard, and you're going to sweat, and it's going to hurt sometimes. And also this, you're going to work for so long, and then you're going to die. So before this sin, guess what that meant about what life was supposed to look like? Work was supposed to be enjoyable. Dad, look what I did today. Let me show you how I named these animals. Look at this tree. Oh, I, I ate something from it. This is my favorite one so far. Oh, and, and, and it should be an enjoyable, wonderful thing. And yet because of sin, now work is frustrating. It's, it's sweat. It's hurting. It's all kinds of issues that come along with it. And now also you're going to die. And so this is a promise of what happens as a result of that. And so if we get down to that, the first and foremost thing that we've got to realize and relearn is that work is not evil. Work is not consequence. Work is a, the frustration of work is a consequence of the fall. And once again, I think all of us have experienced that in some way. Now, number two in this section, God is a creator and he desires us to cultivate that creation for good things. God is the creator God. So he creates uh, wonderful things, and he desires us to cultivate that creation for good things. Um, there are many things that uh, I cannot do. There are many things that people talk about in their job that I have no clue about what they do. But there's something just for me, I really get enamored just thinking about how people will do their job and do it well, and even the ones I can't do. Like I can remember... Um, there's a buddy of mine named Troy who uh, moved from California to South Carolina. He used to cut down those huge redwood trees in California. And uh, he's kind of a logger kind of thing, moved over here to South Carolina. So we had this pine tree that one time was kind of leaning towards our house, this other oak tree that was near. And he came in and I'm sitting here thinking, there's no way that I'm going to try to take this thing down. Because I, to I, I took one down uh, far away from our house and it did not fall the way I thought. So I'm like, you know what? Not going to touch these. And so... But I, I brought him over here, and it, let me just be honest, it was a work of art. I mean, he's just, you know, straddling this tree, and he's got this, this kind of thing. I'm going, there's no way he's doing it all by himself. And he just takes these things down with precision. And it was something for me, I'm watching going, this is just beautiful. 
He's just beautiful. Like just seeing the, him that had this skill was something that I couldn't do. And I'm going, what is he doing? He, he's cultivating and providing, honestly, security for us and, and having dominion over the earth, which Adam was supposed to have, right? And he's in charge of things. And you have the right to take care of those, those things in the world. And so for me, it's, it's that work should be that if God's a creator, he desires to, uh, for us to cultivate good things. We got to get back to that no matter what uh, you work with your hands at. Number three, we should pray that God would establish the work of our hands through work. Establish the work of our hands. So in Psalm 90, verse 17, um, I'll read that for you. You can definitely turn there if you want to. But it says, let the favor of the Lord of our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Um, I think what I, what I, I picture is this is a prayer of Moses, actually. But for Moses, who did a whole lot of things while he led people out, he also was in charge of building certain things that had to do with religious institutions and all these kind of things. And he says, sometimes, Lord, I just wish that you would just take care of the, the work of our hands. Just bless it, God. Establish it. And so I think for every single person here, that no matter what kind of work you're in, that sometimes to say, God, establish it. Like, take care of it. Don't let me just sort of go. And this is bigger than just going nine to five, let me get my paycheck and leave. It's that you're doing something significant that should be helping out other people. Uh, if you think through, um, I know that in here we, we would have all types of different people. How many of you worked in, uh, in education in some place in your life? Okay. Okay, great. All right. So how many of you, when, when, if you think through those people who've worked in education, how many of you know that you could not do that without probably getting yourself in trouble? Can I see those people raise their hand? Okay. All right. Some of you, some of you work, raise your hand both times, right? Okay. Uh, but the, the people who do uh, teaching and, and, and taking care of the young minds of America, let me just tell you, that's a calling. There's nothing less than a calling that people go through. Uh, and I'll say that. For 50 years ago, it was a calling, but especially this school year coming up, it is a calling. Because if it's not, I'm out of there, right? It, it is, it's hard work. But if you say, Lord, this is a precious thing that you, you've put into our hands, and we want to establish the work of our hands. And so should a teacher, I don't, I don't care how good of a teacher they are, but should they be praying, God, establish the work of my hands here? Like, I want your power in what I'm doing here. And you go, you mean teaching kids their ABCs? Absolutely. Are you praying that God would establish the work of your hands? So it's kind of how we relearn. Second thing is reorient. What I mean by reorient is that this is going to seem a little bit different for all of us, uh, especially in the kind of the time and culture that we're in. Um, if we think through um, how we as Christians should believe, right, so we, we think of stories in the Bible where Jesus came up to the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler says, hey, I want to follow you. And he says, well, uh, why are you asking me how to follow me? You obey the commandments? He goes, I obey all of them ever since I was young. <laughs> really? All of them? Yep, every single one of them. I've kept them since I was young. Yes. Okay. One thing that you like, why don't you sell everything you have and give it away? Hmm. What does that guy do? Bye. <laughs> right? He's out. He's going, no, no, no. And so for us, this is, this is where it gets challenging, folks, that we, we see what's happening in the life of Jesus and how he would do that to the rich young ruler. We see what's happening in the book of Acts. And what we see in Acts, people are selling everything they have to meet the needs of others, right? And so sometimes we can look at that and think that money is a bad thing. Getting a paycheck is an ungodly, worldly thing. But here's the thing. In the book of Acts... They can't take care of the needs of the, of the widows and the orphans in the church and those who are losing their job unless somebody's got something to sell in the first place, right? And how do you have something to sell other than, yeah, you've worked and you've had the means to provide for it. And so this is why this is such a complex thing. But I want to go ahead and reorient ourselves to this. Making money is a good thing, okay? It's not a bad thing. Now we're in church and you go, oh, can you say that? I hope so. <laughs> because here's the thing, folks. Um, when we think through this, uh, we're establishing it. In fact, uh, Paul told Timothy, if somebody doesn't work in the church, don't let them eat. Don't let them eat. And in fact, I want to tell you all something else he said. 1 Timothy 5, 8, if you don't take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, what does he mean? Providing emotionally? Now, he was talking about 
financial support. He was saying this, the church is having to step into all these family issues. And some of you family have got money that you could provide for your own family member, whether it's your aging mama or your, your sister who's in trouble, whatever, and you're not taking care of your own family. Let me tell you something. If you can't take care of financially for your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, folks, that's shocking, honestly, to me. Because I think through a lot of people go, well, that's not my responsibility. We need the church to step in and help. The church is there to help when nobody else can, and especially in a family situation. That I should look at my own family and go, before we ever call anybody else needing assistance, I better take care of my own. And that's underneath me, above me, beside me. Like, I have a responsibility for that to even make myself uncomfortable in some ways to take care of it. So with that, I want, as, as a person... I want to be able to say, I want to be as financially free as I can because you don't know when life is going to hit, do you? You don't know when somebody's going to have a medical emergency. You don't know when somebody else is going to need to come stay with you. You don't know when you'll need to provide groceries for somebody close. And so you better be as secure financially you can. And honestly, once again, making money is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. When uh, Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 through 10, this is misquoted a lot where it says a lot of people say money is, um, that money is evil, but that's not what it says because money is the what? The root of all evil. And so money is not a bad thing. Um, how many of you in this room have ever been benefited because there was someone rich in your life that helped you out with something? Okay, I can say that. How many, if I, if I think through my life of how many times growing up, in a single parent house, me, my mom, and my older sister, there were people who came along and blessed us financially. My mom was a single mom teaching, and we were struggling to make ends meet, especially in those early years. And when somebody came along and blessed us, should I say, that's wrong. You shouldn't have enough money to do that. No, 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 no. I'm going to say, thank God you make a lot of money. <laughs> Praise God for that. How many people have ever been financially supported on a mission trip through education? Through someone had come alongside and given you a meal. I mean, I, I thank God for those people along the way. And so what happens is that sometimes we look at that as, well, those, those rich people, they're wrong. I, listen, some of the richest people that I know are some of the most generous, gracious people. And also, some of the richest people I know are some of the most stingy, you know, backbiting, you know, just trouble that you could ever imagine with money. So money is not the problem. It's what you do with it, Right. So, so money, making money is not a bad thing. Uh, it doesn't need to be your, your first thing. But I, I praise God when someone says, hey, I, I've created this. And I was able to, I, I know someone who was able to sell their company at a very young age and has just been financially well off. And you know what they do? They just bless ministry after ministry after ministry after ministry. And I go, praise God, they made a lot of money. That's a good thing, right? So we need to reorient ourselves around this way. And with that, this next line. While the prosperity gospel is dangerous, which means this. God wants to meet all of your wants. I'll also say this. The poverty gospel is also dangerous, which means God doesn't want to meet any of your needs or wants. So, so let me unpack that a little bit. Some of you may not know this terminology, but there is something called the prosperity uh, gospel that is very, very um, successful uh, and very popular today, especially in the United States of America. The prosperity gospel is this. Follow God, have enough faith, and God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. You're going to get promotion, you're going to get more money, and sickness will not be able to take over your body. You need to have enough faith and none of that will ever happen. Here's where my problem is. What about Jesus? What happened to Jesus? He didn't have no faith because he got killed. He was homeless and he drifted from place to place when he was a grown man. And then he got killed because of something other people did. What about the Apostle Paul? He had enough faith? He got shipwrecked three times. How many of y'all have been shipwrecked once? Right? He got shipwrecked three times. Got bit by a snake, beaten up, stoned, you name it, in prison, left for dead numerous times. Why? Because he didn't have enough faith? No, he had a faith, right? But he was being put in places to do that. And so the prosperity gospel is a gospel that says this, um, that God wants you to always have the best. And, and if you have enough faith, and here's, here's where it gets everybody stuck in. It's kind of a um, Christian triangles uh, pyramid scheme, honestly. It's if, if you'll do this and you believe in this and so-and-so and then all, all of a sudden it's always that person at the top that's benefiting. Always that person at the top, religiously, that's benefiting from everybody else. If you'll just sow seed into our ministry, God's going to bless you. Really? Promise you. He'll give you ten times as much as what you give. And, and what happens is that a lot of people will take 
the last little bit they have to help out that minister, that pastor, that, that organization. And then all of a sudden they can't even pay their own bills. And now they're getting a major debt. Why? Because this holy man or holy woman said this is important. So I will say this. You better be careful of the prosperity gospel. Okay? Um, our, my, my boys, we have a favorite song. It's by an artist called Shylin, And it's called False Teachers. And in the word false, the S is a dollar sign. Uh, and, and, it, and it speaks about that if you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. If, if you're coming to God for basically what you can get out of it, you better be careful because Jesus probably ain't your God. Money is at that point. And, and so I think that's dangerous, but I also think that the opposite. So we do this in the church all the time. That's dangerous. So let's go all the way across. God didn't want you to have money. God doesn't want you to be uh, wealthy. God doesn't want you to do well at jobs. God wants you to be poor. That's how God loves. Well, if everybody in this church is poor, guess what? We can't send missionaries. We can't support the needs of the church of people who have lost their job in this church and need food for their family. We can't support that. So we better be at the place where we're going, oh, this is a good thing. So poverty theology is saying that we, sh we should be poor is not a good thing. We've got to say God has blessed us. And I'll say this. I think everybody in here, you are blessed. We are in a room with air conditioning tonight on August night, right? And, and I don't think anybody I saw walking in here tonight. And so we are blessed in, in major ways. Um, and so one of the things that we've got to reorient as it comes to money is this. Working at a job to provide financial security for your family and financial generosity for kingdom opportunities is a good thing. It is a very good thing. So working at a job to provide financial security for your family and financial generosity for kingdom opportunities is a good thing. So when I look at Proverbs 14, verse 23... Proverbs has a lot to say about money, by the way. And what he says is, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. He says, In all toil there is profit. What does he mean by that? There's financial gains. Work hard and you get paid well. But mere talk, you know what, one day I want to do this. And I want to start my own company. And I've got these wonderful dreams. Can you just get to work tomorrow? <laughs> First and foremost, right? Stop just talking, 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 talking. Because it leads to poverty. I know a lot of people who talk themselves into poverty because that job that they've got right now is not good enough. Guess what? Everybody here has probably had that job where you think that so-and-so gets paid more than you and you should have that promotion instead of them. And guess what? Mere talk will lead to poverty. Just work. Work hard. Uh, be faithful and that God provides us uh, other opportunities. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28, once again, Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus and dealing with a whole lot of different things they're going with. And in verse 28... Um, he says this, let the thief no longer steal. Okay, go, okay, why, why are we talking about that? He goes, and so if, if you have stolen, stop it. And some people would say this, well, we had to steal. We were poor. We needed this. We had no other option. He goes, actually, rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So why do we make money? So you can give it away to somebody. It's like, don't steal anymore, work really hard. Why? So that it, when an opportunity comes, you can bless someone else. I can remember being that college student and saying, God, I feel like you're calling me to the mission field, but that plane ticket is expensive, super expensive, and I can't pay for it all on my own. And so you know what was this beautiful moment for us? Is that when I felt like that God gave me this job, working a summer job at Velux, making skylights on an assembly line, and I paid for about half of that plane ticket working at Velux, and about half that plane ticket was paid for people who just that the Lord put it on their heart to give something to me. And I go, that's, that's awesome. That's wonderful. I can think through different times in my life where God would call us to do this or call us to do that. Go through something that we go, oh, Lord, I don't know if we can provide for our family to go and do that to follow you in this. And God would give me other opportunities to do work and to do other opportunities. And then sometimes people would just say, I, I want to bless you with this. And so it says, don't steal anymore. You work really hard. Why? So you have something to share with one another. I can remember first few years of marriage, still having to write those support letters when we go on a mission trip. You know, I don't know if you've ever done that, but write support letters and going, I hope we can do this. I, I can remember. And I can remember um, it was a few years into our marriage and a couple of Dave Ramsey books later that I actually, I had a moment in our marriage that I was so excited about. You know how it was? Somebody sent us a support letter and we could send them on the mission trip. 
It was the first time in our life I was like, oh, we're not the ones writing the letter. Like, we actually could give away. And for me, and I'm a stingy person, y'all. I was, I was, when people asked me, they said, they said, what kind of financial advice did you get when you were a young person? Coming from a single mom, this was the financial advice. If we go out to eat, you drink water. That's the only financial advice I got. But let me tell you something. That ain't bad, okay? That's a pretty good financial approach. That's how we looked at it. If we go out to eat, we drink water. And that's what we're going to do. Um, and so for me, when I had the opportunity to go, okay, you work hard, pay your bills, don't go in debt, and then a need comes up and you go, oh, I can be a part of that. There's something just incredible about that where you can say, I actually get to be a part of that versus someone coming alongside and not stealing, but that you have this opportunity to share with someone in need. Work hard so you have those opportunities. And then 1 Timothy 5, 8, uh, I referenced this verse earlier, but let me just read it for you since maybe some of you didn't believe it's actually in here. 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There is no more of a serious, I mean, just rebuke for us to right now to say, Take care of your own. Take care of them. Um, you provide for your family uh, no matter what you, um, no matter what's going on in your life. You do what you can. So reorient. Let's look on the back page to rediscover. And what it means by this is, is how you look through uh, how you've been made and how you best serve. Now, let me go ahead and also say this. Work is called work for a reason. So I think one of the biggest issues right now, and I would say the 20 to 30-year-olds that are walking around America, is that they are expecting to get that perfect job as soon as they get out of college. And they're expecting, because they have lived a certain way, that that first job should allow them to continue to drive the type of car that their parents gave them when they were 15, go on the same type of vacations that they went on when they were 18, and get the same type of clothes that they had when they were 17. And they just think, oh, I can just keep doing this. No, you can't. No, you can't. And so what happens, they go, well, either i got to go into debt, get all kinds of credit cards, get myself in trouble, or the job's the problem. The job's the problem. I need to find another job. And that's why they jump from this job to that job to this job to that job, and they just can't make up their mind. Because they had a standard of living they grew up getting used to, and then all of a sudden they launch out on their own, and they can't afford it, and they go, oh, what's wrong? Obviously, it's not me, right? It's got to be somebody else. And so there is this... Danger, I think, that what happens is, is that people sort of feel like that they've got to sort of have a standard of living that they've got to get to, and they don't realize that sometimes you just got to work and you got to go in. I don't think anybody is in a perfect job. I don't think anybody especially starts out at something great. So I want to make sure everybody knows this. You may not find your perfect job in this life. And still, you work hard, and you be faithful, and you take care, and you say, thank you, God, that I got the finances to take care of me and mine and also help other people. What it is. But maybe after years and work and trusting and doing the right thing, you might actually find yourself in a place where work isn't as burdensome as it used to be. Any of y'all ever experienced that where you, you used to do this and, oh, I do it because I'm supposed to. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I get to do this, right? I, I know this may seem shocking to you. I actually like what I do. Now, I, that does not mean that ministry does not have its headaches, right? I'm not going to look at any of y'all when I say that, by the way. It does not mean that ministry doesn't have headaches. But it means this. I love what I do. I, I love getting up in the morning. I love Sunday mornings. I love Monday morning staff meetings. I love Tuesday morning studies. I love Wednesday morning counseling. I love Thursday morning getting ahead. I love it all. I love every little bit of it, right? And there's just something. Now, there's some stuff that I go... But now I tell my kids, there's certain things that dad's got to do. I don't like, but it's part of my job. And it's a job. And you just got to do it sometimes. But then there are also those moments you go, oh, this is right. And this is perfect. And so even if you get to a place where a fraction of what you do that you enjoy, that's a really, really good thing. I believe that work is best when we find alignment with how we've been made. Work is best when we find alignment with how we have been made. And so I think that you look at, say, for some of us, um, We've got to remember that work is work, uh, but we also have to look and say, hey, we've we got to make sure that we're in alignment, that we're in a good spot, uh, that we're where we need to be because God has made us a certain way. Um, and then the, the next thing is this. Don't make divisions between sacred and secular employment. Don't make divisions between sacred and secular employment. And I want you to turn over to Exodus chapter 31 for a moment. 
And when I say sacred and secular, some of us would say, okay, well, what, Pastor Travis, what you do, that's sacred. But I go and I work and I, I'm a nurse or I'm a teacher or I go work in the wood shop and I just got secular employment. That's different. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen nation, a holy priesthood. We're all called to be this priesthood, walking out, uh, declaring the excellencies of our God who's called us into marvelous light, out of darkness into marvelous light. So that means this. You are doing yourself a disservice if you go, well, some people do ministry and missions and all I do is get a paycheck. Because I, I, I get this. What if you could use your job as a platform for kingdom work? And you just go, with alignment with how God's made me, how could I advance this kingdom through even what seems like secular work? So you know how we send most of our missionaries on the international mission field? We find a trade, a job that they're good at, and that allows them indoors that being a missionary cannot be. So there's some North Greenville students that come here during the school year that are planning on going to missions, and they're not getting a missionary degree. You know why? Because that doesn't look good when you're trying to get into a closed country. Oh, what'd you go to school for? To be a missionary? Oh, you can't get in. Oh, I want to be a teacher. That's what I want to be. I want to be a teacher. Well, we need teachers. We need tons of teachers. Come on in. What, what can I do there? Whatever you want to. As long as you teach these kids, you can tell them about whoever you want to. Go for it. Well, guess what? That's somebody aligned with how they've been made, but saying, I'm going to use this for kingdom work. And in the same way, I'm telling you this. If folks if, if, in this church, if we can look at our nine to fives as a sacred opportunity to invite people to Jesus and to walk among them and see holiness, everything would change. So in Exodus 31... Uh, you see, uh, maybe above your subheadings, two names that you may or may not be familiar with. And I want somebody to try to tell me how to say them because I don't know how to say them. Okay, no, I, I really don't. I just sort of go really quick. But this first, these, uh, how many of you have ever heard these two names here? Anybody? A couple of you have? So I'm going to go with Aholiab. Does that look pretty good? Yeah. Anybody want to best me? You, you're more than welcome to. And then Bazel, maybe? Sounds good? We'll call them O and B-Dog. Okay, so um, Exodus 31, people are, they have left Egypt on the way to the promised land. And somewhere in the midst of all this, what's going to take place is very beautiful to me. Because in Exodus, when they're leading out, who's the leader? <coughs> Moses is the guy, right? He's up the one. He's on the mountain. He's getting all the instructions. But look what happens in Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by my name Bazel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, or of the tribe of Judah. Listen to this. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Stop right there. You go, oh, so this guy is going to be another preacher. He must be another prophet. He must be another priest. He's going to lead people. If the Spirit of God has come upon him, this must mean he's a part of some sacred work. It says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. Do you catch what just happened? God's Spirit came upon a construction worker to do his job. And you go, to do what? Well, guess what he's building? The tabernacle. Absolute, he's coming alongside, and Moses has got this idea that, okay, well, Lord, what, what do you want us to do? And, Moses, and God says, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. It's going to be a tent like this. Here are the exact dimensions. Here's the type of fabric I want. Here's the type of stones I want. Here's the type of wood. And Moses is scribbling, scribbling, scribbling. He's going, I don't know how to do any of that. I grew up in Pharaoh's house. These hands have not seen hard work, okay? He's not seen construction work, not Moses. And he's going, what am I going to do? I can't build that tabernacle. Now listen, Moses, the day that tabernacle is going to be there, guess who's going to lead in worship? It's going to be Moses. He's going to stand up there on stage when that tabernacle's built and say, thus saith the Lord, here's what we need to do, let's worship. But the problem is this, he can't build that. He's not equipped to do so. But God sent his spirit to some construction workers and some artists to pull that off what he could not. And this is why I want everybody just to be, I hope this awakens in your heart right now, the Spirit of God is not reserved for just preachers and missionaries. Yeah. Spirit of God gifts people for craftsmanship and work, blue collar, white collar, missionary, nine to five, you name it. He puts his Spirit and gives you gifts and guess what happens? You get to do about his business right there. Let me just tell you what would have happened if Moses would have tried to build that tabernacle. 
first worship service, that tent would have come down on everybody. I mean, just it would have fallen flat. The other thing, let me tell you what happened. If uh, Ahaliab and Bazil, if they would have come along and said, Moses, I, I feel the Spirit of God in me. I feel like I want to preach that first sermon. Let me just tell you what happened there too. Now listen, have you ever had to sit through a lesson or a sermon from somebody who did not need to be holding that position? Don't you look at me when you answer that, okay? But have you ever, listen, honestly, have you ever been there where somebody taught and you think, please, Lord, come soon and get this over with, right? You, you, you're trying to be nice and you're trying to say, Lord, bless them to finish up. You just get done because they're trying to do something God hadn't gifted them to do. That's right. And so if these construction workers were said, I feel like I built this thing. I need to give the first sermon. No, you don't. But brothers, we couldn't be meeting in this place if it wasn't for you. So when that, that cloud comes in and fills that tabernacle and God's spirit comes down, you got to be a part of that. Don't ever miss that. And God has gifted his spirit in you to do this. Some of you folks, I wish I had the gifts that you have. You have the ability to do things that make me marvel. I'd go, how do they figure that out, right? And to say, so don't say, well, I just do with this or I just do with that and I'm not having anything responsible to do. These guys are instrumental in the worship of the Lord in these moments, especially in the wilderness. And so for us, we got to rediscover how God made you and work from your gifting. I think obviously there are going to be some times where you just got to do a job and you got to do it and it's hard and you just got to do it for the glory of God and to put food on the table. I really do believe that that's there for a lot of us. But for some of us, we've got to think through differently and go, how have you been gifted? How have you been wired? Um, so some of you know this, but a few months ago we had um, kind of a career workshop that we had here on a Sunday night or Sunday afternoon for some folks that were trying to look through uh, for different jobs. And so one of the things that we did is that we uh, gave an opportunity for some people who've worked in HR and different companies to come alongside. And we just sort of help people who are either I'm in a bad spot and I'm trying to get a different one or I have lost my job and I'm trying to find something else. And so we had a lot of folks that came alongside and we just did uh, resume building, uh, networking, uh, here's some interview skills, here's some things that you need to do. Because honestly, as a, as a pastor, I feel like there's some people who've never had anybody in their corner coaching them with that. And so we had a lot of uh, folks that came alongside and did that. Uh, and, some, and honestly, a lot of follow-up stuff from it. Uh, Jackie Lovegrove and Rob helped out with that. Um, and then some other folks, Tammy uh, Tribble, who works HR. We've got Mark DeVos, who works in HR. Rod Hopemuth did a lot of this kind of networking for people. And it was very, very beneficial. I asked Jackie. Jackie uh, uh, was going to be here tonight. And I said, could you sort of give us a little bit? Because her and Rob gave a, a lot of great stuff for the people that were assembled at that thing. And I want to give her a few minutes just to sort of share some of those things that they unpacked about how you kind of need to figure out who you are and, and how you need to be working. And so for all of you right now, you may be saying, I'm in my dream job and I'm all good to go. And some of you might go, mm, I might need some help in doing this. So Jackie's going to come and give us a couple of things really quick. So we all say, thank you, Jackie, for coming tonight. All right. Here, Jackie. You can hold this and put on the mic. You got it? You got it? Okay. Hello. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> Yeah, um, so a couple quick things. We just had, you know, three kind of points that we focused on when we were here that night. Um, and one thing we love to do is help people discover, you know, what their joy is. Like Travis said, it's great when you can work and like really love what you do. So regardless of where you are in your work spectrum or in your life, whether you're that 20 to 30 something person or whether you're 55 and looking for your next great gig, um, one thing we like to do is help people discover, um, you know, think through your skills, think through your strengths and weaknesses. So we call that mindset. So we kind of have to set our mindset around something realistic, you know, so you can kind of step back with yourself, reevaluate, reorient a lot of the things he's talking about, he's been talking about tonight, so that you can kind of hone in on who you are. What is it you really want to do? Because there's so much out there, that it's, it can be really tricky to figure out what is it that I really want to do? What am I really good at? What am I really passionate about? Because like you said, wouldn't it be great if you could actually really enjoy what you do? And um, it is possible. And sometimes we have to know the gap between what we're good at, what we want to do, and how we're going to get there. So, so many ways to look at that. So when we help people, we love to sit down and, and figure that out, just to work through what they love, where they want to go, where they need to be. 
Um, so then we look at focus. So then once you kind of spend some time figuring out what am I passionate about, what am I good at, what are my gaps, then we try to help you focus because like we know there's a million websites out there. There's so much that bombards you when you're looking for that next great assignment or where you want to go. You really have to step back, set some parameters for yourself. You know, So that's really important, especially for the younger people when they come out and the sky's the limit. You're like, wait a minute, we have to set some parameters so that you can actually um, build your focus. And lastly, believe. When you take on this you know, role of trying to figure out what it is you're going to do and, and you spend this time trying to figure that out, you've got to step out with belief. Belief in who you are, but also that, and this is what we love, is to see how God works in and through your life and places people in your life and places opportunities in your life. So we enjoy that so much. So those were just a couple of really quick things that we got to go over that night. So thanks for having us. Thank you. That's great. So really, I think what Jackie and Rob did a great job of saying, hey, figure out how you're wired and say, is there a way to get in that place where you can serve in different ways? Now, now Gene, I'm going to pick on you for a second. You served in the ministry for how many years? About 62. 62 years, okay. So that gives me hope that I can make it, you know, to year 18 or whatever I'm working on, okay. Um, but, but Gene has done an incredible job serving as a pastor for 62 years. Are there certain jobs in the world that you think if you tried to do 40 years ago would have been a problem? I don't believe I made it. <laughs> okay, okay. Don't believe he can make it because I believe that God, when he calls you to something, right, you, you just, you're just going to be discontent until you get there. When so, he calls, he don't uncall. There you go. When he calls, he doesn't uncall. So we all need to write that down and live by it, okay? When he, when he calls, he doesn't uncall. And so for some of us, you've you got to re remind yourself that, you know what, God has wired me a certain way, and it would it waste time for you to go, well, I just wish I had the calling that Gene had. I wish I had the calling that Jackie had. I wish that I had the skills that Becky had. You know what happens when you do that? You're telling God he did it wrong. Yeah. You made me wrong. Yeah. I should be like this, God. And, and that, that's some serious accusations there that you just want to say, God, you, you've gifted me in such a way. And so I want to discover uh, and work from that gifting. The last section here is repurpose. And for you to really think through how you can do this. To repurpose what you think through when it comes to work. And here's the thing. Number one, while you live on this earth, think of your work from a kingdom perspective. Think of your work from a kingdom perspective. And so you start saying nine to five, whatever it looks like. It might be um, what your career is in, what your post-retirement career is going to be in, whatever it may be, the calling that you feel like you have. You want to say, I want to work at it with a kingdom perspective. First Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether then we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the what? Glory of God. So can you work on the assembly line of the glory of God? Better believe you can better believe you can. You make as good of a, a widget that you've got that your company is making and you say, I'm going to make this the best ability for the glory of God. I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to be life giving instead of um, just completely draining everybody around me. Uh, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so there are some times, all right, even in ministry where I've said, Lord, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> I am going to work hard at this, and I'm going to do this well for your glory, not for men, but for you. I'm going to do this. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. You say, Lord, this is my work. I want to commit it to you, and that your plans will be established in there. Um, then work is intended to bring glory to God and good to others. Work is intended to bring glory to God and good to others. No matter what the job that you feel called to that you work at, no matter what you do, it is for the glory of God and the good for others. That's something I'm picking on everybody tonight. Becky, I mentioned you. Becky just retired in the school. How, how long have you worked? Um, about 33 years. 33 years teaching school. So y'all can, can give her a hug later because that's a lot of time, right? 33 years. Okay, it's good. 30. <laughs> Becky, do you, do you mind uh, why you retired? You're not stopping, are you? What do you feel called to do? She just took and passed her, her last class, last test on Friday, but she's been getting an accreditation degree in counseling that she just uh, retired 
and yet she's not slowing down. Now, I, I say that to say Becky's served in a wonderful, amazing way, and goodness gracious, can you think of how many kids in 33 years you have touched? That's overwhelming to think about. And she'll still see some of them sort of pop in, and they'll say, Miss Kirby, and whatnot, and she's probably going, oh, let me remember that child's name. And, and 33 years of, of, of impacting students, now she's at a place, follow me, she might have the opportunity to counsel one of those kids she had when they were seven years old. You know? Probably already happened in some ways, right? That has happened unofficially, right? But there's many opportunities that she feels like, you know what, I feel called to do this. And so she's working hard to get this uh, degree and certification and do it, right? And why is that? Well, for the glory of God, God's put that desire. If you know Becky, Becky helps people. That's what she does. She wakes up in the morning. She helps people. She wants to serve people. She's an empathizer, natural encourager. But here's the thing. That glory to God serving that way, that's also good to others. I, I could say there's probably some testimonies in this room. I'm wanting, what I want to testify, Becky has been good to me. She encourages me. She prays for me. I feel the benefit of, of her, what God has called her to do. And I'm saying that is for every single person here, no matter what you do. Um, I, I think through, for all of us, when we work hard, it's intended to bring glory to God and good to others. Um, how many of you would think through that if the next time you had to have a major operation, you went to that surgeon and you said, can you just tell me about your medical degree? And they said, well, I kind of got through a degree. <laughs> I mean, a buddy of mine took that exam on that surgery we were about to do on you. But don't worry, I watched on YouTube last night. I am good to go. How many of y'all would say, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to talk to your buddy who took that test for you. You would say, no, nah, I don't want that. Well, in the same way... Um, I, I know a pastor who went to seminary with me who cheated on his exams. Theology exams. Just cheated. Could not. Well, I won't say could not. He would not study and work hard at it. You know why he couldn't study? Because he was too busy doing the ministry. He couldn't prepare for the work of the ministry. And you know what? Right now when I look at him, his theology is a train wreck. Just a train wreck. And I go, the same way that I wouldn't want a surgeon who you know, cheated his way through med school operating on me, I would not want the next pilot who flies that plane to say, I used to play this in a video game when I was a kid. I don't want a pastor. I don't want anybody building my windows. I don't want anybody working on my car who doesn't know what they're doing. Bring glory to God and good for others. Every single task, guarantee. It is something that is good for others. And this, this last line here, repurpose your perspective on work from gaining earthly benefits to giving heavenly opportunities. Don't just think about it as this, this is giving me earthly benefits. I'm getting a paycheck. I'm getting retirement. I want a promotion. I want the company car, whatever it is, right? But it's giving heavenly opportunities, kingdom opportunities for you to think through how, how can you benefit this. I mentioned to you uh, after my... Mm, sophomore year of college, uh, I didn't have enough money to, um, to get to my mission trip that I was going to China. And so um, I got about nine guys from college. We were at North Greenville. We were all going to go to China together. And I didn't have enough money. So the, the trip was at the end of the summer. So I went and talked with someone who was HR at Velux, who makes all the skylights uh, in, in the world. And I got on that assembly line and got an education that summer. Um, so much, it, was, it was an interesting environment for me to be a part of. Uh, I was one of the youngest guys that obviously worked there as a temp worker on the assembly line. Um, I can remember the first time I accidentally, I was supposed to make the bottom sash of those windows, and I had this high-powered screwdriver. It was like, zoom, you know, just breaking in there, all these little brackets in there so quick. You do that for about eight hours a day, you start getting a little loosey. And I remember I almost put a screw straight through my hand one time, and I stopped it quick enough so it, it drew blood, it went through, but it wasn't major. So I just started going up to the first aid kit on the wall. You know, I'm bleeding. Go first aid kit. About to go there, I noticed there's a sticker on the first aid kit. Y'all know what sticker I'm talking about? Some of y'all know this? It's a sticker that covers it all the way. And it's got a date on it. The last time that first aid kit was broken. I thought, well, I guess I'll open it up today. I'm about to open it up. Now, my hand is bleeding, right? And there's a lady I work with named Miss Betty. She slapped my other hand really quick. And she, and she stopped me. And I said, Miss Betty, what's the matter? And she said, you see that date on that box? I said, yes, ma'am. It says we haven't had an accident on this job site in 99 days. I said, congratulations, Miss Betty. She goes, if we get 100 days, we get a bonus. I said, oh, well, that's good. She goes, you can just bleed, son. Okay. <laughs> so I remember I bled the rest of the day. They got a bonus check. And me and Miss Betty stayed friends. Now, um, 
doing that, now, now here's the thing, right? So that was kind of the work environment that as a 19-year-old kid I'm getting used to and had a great time. Heavy machinery blaring all the time. So I'm sitting there preparing to go share the gospel with people on the other side of the world, but somehow I cannot find an opportunity to share the gospel with the people at lunch. Isn't that odd? I go on the other side of the world, raise thousands of dollars to, sh to share the gospel with these people. You know, there's people right there beside me all the time. Well, I would just equate it, well, it's too loud in there. You can't talk to anybody. Well, you know, at lunch break, I don't want to overwhelm, I don't want to be that preacher boy at them, so I would just struggle. And there was, especially this one guy next to me on the, the line, uh, his name was Travis too, which made it easy for me to remember. And uh, I just remember there these times I'm going, I just felt, y'all, you ever had that leading? You know you need to share. You know you need to share. And you just keep telling yourself why you shouldn't, why you shouldn't, why you shouldn't. One day, he, start, he came up to me in my spot, and he just starts yelling at me. I can't understand what he's saying. Now, if you've worked there for more than five years, you can understand each other over all the machines. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You work there long enough, you learn how to read lips, and everybody's there. I'm still just a few weeks in, and he's, and I was like, what? And, and the first thing I finally thought I'd discern what he said, have you ate? And I was like, no, it's only 10 o'clock. And he goes, no, are you saved? And I went, yeah, are you? He goes, no. And he walks off. <laughs> I went, what? And so I go back and I said, hey, come on, let's go take a break. And I said, why did you ask me that? He said, I don't know. I just had a question. I said, so you're not a Christian? He goes, no. I said, why not? He said, because I like my way of lifestyle too much. And I said, well, that... At least somebody's honest, right? He, he knew to follow Jesus meant he was going to have to stop doing some stuff on the weekend, and he wasn't ready for that. And so I said, so why did you ask? And anyway, we got on this kind of thing. And then I started trying to share the gospel with him. And let me just tell you where I felt so discouraged. I was having to play catch-up because he's the one who had to ask me about supposedly the most important thing in my life. You would think if Jesus was the center of my life, and I was, why were you on that Velux assembly line? To raise money so that people could hear about Jesus. And right beside me is somebody who needed to hear Jesus. As lost as that Chinese people were in that village that I was going to go risk my life to go tell. And that day I just thought, man, if, if we could really just start rethinking, repurposing our life to go, guys, your workplace is a mission field, is it not? There are people out there who need Jesus, who need someone to encourage them, who need prayer. And so don't just say, well, that's the pastor's job, that's the missionary's job. I get excited when I think about how many teachers that we get to send out to the public school system as missionaries in a few weeks. Man, isn't that awesome? I get excited thinking about all the students that we'll send to almost every single school in this school district around this area. That's exciting to me. People going to the medical field, people going into plants, people working in their own businesses and going, look at all these missionaries who can go places that I don't have the freedom to go. So I go, if we could just repurpose and say, okay, yeah, Lord, we want to make money and we want to provide for our family and we want to get, uh, bring glory to you but also good to others. But, man, what an opportunity that we have to repurpose, rethink through our jobs as a ministry opportunity. And so, Father, tonight.